Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. Today my guest is Patrick Stump. Now you just might be familiar with Patrick as the vocalist and rhythm guitarist and composer for the band Fall Out Boy. But since 2017, Patrick has also started composing for film, TV, and other media, beginning with the animated film Gnome Alone, and most recently working on the Disney Junior animated show Spidey and His Amazing Friends, a Spider-Man show aimed for young children. Actually, I believe the first Marvel one of its kind, or at the very least the first Spider-Man show of its kind. It really surprised me. I never would have expected someone like Patrick to have his real passion in composing for film and TV, but it turns out that's what he wanted to do since he was, I don't know, five years old? Ever since seeing the original Tim Burton Batman film. So it's really cool to be able to see that dream come alive and see him almost starting over as an indie composer. And of course, you can find out more about Patrick on various social media or on his website. And you can hear some of his scores on various platforms, although a lot of them are still unreleased. And for those with little kids at home, the first season of Spidey and His Amazing Friends is out, and, and you'll hear us talk about, which apparently hasn't actually been officially announced, but I've gotten clearance from Disney, that the second season is underway. Now, of course, if you like the show, you like what you hear, follow along, leave a rating, review, all that stuff, but most importantly, I hope you enjoy. Patrick, I'm so glad you could join me today. How have you been? I'm good, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And I mean, you're a Chicago native, so that's yeah. that's where I'm based. So I, of course, I had to have you on. Yeah, happy to do it. It's uh, I'm trying to think of a, a lot of Chicago composers. It's, it's a it's a fairly limited, uh, at least in film and TV. I, I don't know very many. Yeah, you know, I I know a couple, but they tend to be on the smaller, more indie side, which is mm-hmm. odd, just because it you know it's a big city has such a big music scene. Yeah. But you know, maybe uh. We just got to wait a little while before that side of the music scene really kicks off. I mean, obviously, that's kind of where you cut your teeth way back when, like in the punk scene before blowing Mm -hmm. up with Fall Out Boy. And then I think like in 2017, really making the move into scoring for film and TV as well. I don't want to kind of belabor the years before that, because I'm sure you've talked about it quite a bit over the last 20 years. But how'd you make that jump? Where did that initial interest come from? So that's what I always wanted to do. I'm a really weird guy for a band. <laughs> it's it's a really it's always been strange. I mean, that's been the that's been the byline about us since we started kind of is like, yeah, it's this band and there's this singer and he doesn't seem to want to be a singer, you know, he's just <laughs> whatever. Um I never that was never my dream. It was not in a bad way, you know. I we got struck by lightning and it's incredible, but it's also like I wasn't the kid that played around pretending to be a, a rock star and stuff. That wasn't my aspirations at all. I'm just a a shyer guy anyway, you know, but, uh, my first real musical thing, my first musical memory was definitely Batman, 1989's Batman. Cause you had the, the, the Prince soundtrack, which I, I love, but the Danny Elfman score, which I really love. It was a big deal for me. I remember being a little kid and sitting in my brother's room and he had this Casio keyboard. And I remember that, that, that opening credits to Batman 
where there's that logo, the Batman logo, yeah. and they go around and there's that that great opening theme. But as it's building up, the bum, 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 and I would sit there and play it out. And I remember being, I, I must have been probably about like six or seven and playing that. And that was the first time that I really, that, you know, I could make music sound like music. I was just over the moon about it. And it, it really, and then I got obsessed with his scores, especially because then I, um, it's a silly thing, but I know back in those, <laughs> back in the early '90s and you know late '80s, they used to reuse um, a lot of existing scores for trailers. So you know, a, a new a new horror movie would come out, and they'd reuse Psycho or something. And Beetlejuice was in everything. That score was in like every trailer. And I remember picking that out and being like, "Oh, that's Beetlejuice." And I would go back and and you know I would sit there with my and with my keyboard and the 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 left hand that was like one of the first things that I, I played on a keyboard you know after the Batman thing and and so I just really dove into that and and uh, it kind of flowered out from there basically you know I had Batman and Tim Burton movies and my brother was really big into Star Wars and that got me into John Williams and so that was really pretty much my first musical anything so long before I was playing guitar or anything I was thinking about scoring. It was always something that I wanted to do, but forever I just thought it wasn't a thing that you could do. I didn't know that it was a... Th From the beginning of the band, I would always kind of throw it out there. You know, if anybody was doing a movie, I'm like, hey, I score, I score. And no one ever took it seriously and whatever. Really? Yeah. Oh, I've been... I uh, When the band first got out to Hollywood, you know, because that happens, you know, you go out to Hollywood and everyone wants to meet you. And, and they're all like, hey, you know, we're going to put you in movies and this and that. And I'm like, I want to score. I want to score them. And I remember um, after we we did a record, uh, Infinity on High, and I remember being really scared of how most bands just disappear usually. You don't really have, we had one hit and it was like, well, that's probably it, you know. Yeah. So I was like, well, this is the last time I'm ever going to guarantee to pay, to have somebody pay for strings and horns, you know. So I like put it everywhere. And uh, I remember going to, a, going to some meetings in Hollywood and... Um, there were a couple parts on that record that were very self-consciously almost score. And, um, and I'd be like, Hey, and I play that for them and be like, cause I didn't know how to, I didn't know, understand meetings at the time, but I was like, Hey, this is, <laughs> this is what I really want to do is this, this m moment of music here where, where there's horns and strings. Can I do that? And they're like, yeah, we, we want you to write the theme song, you know, <laughs> but. What did it take for people to, for Hollywood and studios or directors, producers to take that side of you seriously and go, Oh, you know what? This guy can do something other than write a rock-facing theme. I had two big bluffs. I did two big bluffs in a row. One of them was um, the Hulk ride at Universal Studios. They had reached out about Fall Out Boy doing the music for the Hulk ride. And the band, we weren't really all on the same page about it. It wasn't, we didn't have the time and everything. So, so they came to me about it, and I was like, well, I'll do it if I can do orchestra, if I can do it an orchestral score. And they were like, that's eh, not really what we wanted. And I'm, and, but okay. And I was like, really? They, you know, they wanted two minutes of music. And I was thinking about when I was a kid and you go to the Six Flags and, and the Batman ride there had, while you're waiting in line, they would play all of Danny Elfman's score. And I was like, can I write stuff to play in, the, in line? And they're like, sure, we're not paying you. We don't have more budget. <laughs> but if you want to write that stuff and record it, that's fine. And so I went in and I did like 20 minutes of imaginary score for an imaginary Hulk movie that didn't exist, you know, and it was the first thing I ever did. So now I look back on it and it's a little bit 
scruffy around the edges but the fact that i did like a 70 piece orchestra or something crazy you know it's a funny coincidence i had been on this movie no malone somehow i ended up doing a voice in the movie i was i was doing a, a voicing a character and i'm in the vocal booth and one of the producers goes i hear you score i'm like oh yeah yeah you know and she goes uh, do you want to score this movie and i'm like yes yes i do because i had had this 20 minutes of orchestra from the hulk movie or the Hulk ride, it was kind of like my reel. And they took a really big chance on me on, on No Malone. They, they were like, uh, we, we'd like to maybe pair you with one of our composers that we usually use. And I'm like, no, I think I can do it myself. You know, I didn't, I had never done a movie. Uh, they said, you know, well, do you know time code and stuff? And I'm like, sure, sure. I had no idea. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing at all, but it pulled together and it was a blast. Basically, I've been I hit the ground running from then and I've been scoring ever since. And it's just my favorite thing I've ever gotten to do, you know, musically is, is getting to open up a new reel. And I get to look at it for the first time and spot it and know where I'm putting my cues and all that. It's it's spectacular. So it's so funny. There's it reminds me there's been this Johnny Greenwood um, interview snippet that's been floating around about his when he first joined Radiohead as the keyboardist he didn't know how to play keyboard and he'd keep his keyboard turned off during mm -hmm. rehearsals and just fake that for like 3 months all while like moonlighting learning how to do it and obviously <laughs> it's like not exactly the same but no, i mean but there it, there is so much credence to like actually faking it till you make it that's actually one of the ways i learned I, i'm not really a, a fluent reader in terms of uh, score score I, I read them but I don't it's like I read my Spanish where it's like I have to you know I, I have to go back to it and uh, what's this line mean you know but most of my reading I learned from BSing my way through uh, marching band through orchestra because um, they put me on timpani and I I couldn't read at all so I would just listen to whatever the tuba was doing. And anytime the tuba played, and you know, you only have four <laughs> notes. And anytime the tuba would play that note, I'd hit it. And uh, it worked. They never called me on it for the entire, <laughs> entire time, you know. And But gradually, I'd start to see, you know, where I was on the score and I'd learn and whatever. But it was that. It was kind of just throwing yourself into the fire and, and kind of going along with it. So that's, I mean, it sounds like everybody does that. Yeah. Well, I mean, in doing that, what were some of the, the learning curves or the obstacles or you looking back four or five years later and being like, oh, I can't believe I didn't do this or I I can't believe I did that. In terms of orchestra stuff, one of the first things that I learned is how different live players are than synth. And that, sound, that sounds like it goes without saying, you know, it should be obvious. But if you're, if you're a writer now, it's, it's a strange disadvantage and advantage because you, you have a pretty natural sense of what an instrument's range is. When you're composing in contact or something, most of the patches, the highest note on the violin is the highest note on a violin. The problem is you don't have any relationship with this is comfortable for a player, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if you're going to be doing this run on this string, that's more comfortable for violas than it would be for violin or something, right? You don't know those things because you haven't spent, if you're, if you're coming from, I, I didn't come out of an orchestra or, you know, conservatory or whatever. So, so I don't know those things. So that's kind of a big learning curve. And there's things that I would write differently. I, I'd especially orchestrate differently where there are things that I notice the way I orchestrate has gotten a lot different in terms of like this, I would voice for horns instead of trombones or this I would voice for, because you get more used to 
what a player can do. And that just comes from time. It's kind of like looking at yearbook photos when I hear some of my first scores where I'm like, oh gosh, why did I, why is that an oboe? That's like, (laughs) you know, just weird choices that you wouldn't make. I mean, have you thought of revisiting some of those? Like, especially the Hulk ride where you have 20 minutes total of music. I mean, especially now, like hugely popular. (laughs) If they ever wanted me to, I I, I do it again uh, because there's a lot of stuff that I, there's a lot of weird choices that I made in that, in that one, especially too, because I was also trying to make 20 minutes in like a week. I had like no time and I was kind of slapping it together. So it was a lot of random ideas, but uh, yeah, if I could do it again, I would, I would, that, that one I definitely would. But um, I don't know. I also kind of think on some level, it just is what it is. It's, like there's mixed things when I listen to No Malone where I'm like, I, you know, I pushed for more brass in this mm-hmm. spot and I'd probably bring the brass down or whatever. Those kind of little things like that. But at the end of the day, it's, it is what it is and it's out there and everything's not genius, you know. And I, I kind of like letting mistakes exist too because you learn and sometimes that helps other people learn too, you know. I, I like hearing one of the things that really inspires me. It's a weird thing, but... One of the things that really inspires me is when I hear another writer or composer do something that I, I don't like, you know, they're building up to, to this chord and then they go to a, they go somewhere that I, that doesn't feel like it resolves in the right way to me. And, and then I go in my head, I'm like, well, what if we, what if it did go here? And then before you know it, you've gone off in another direction. And so I like leaving those mistakes. Hopefully I inspire somebody else, (laughs) you know, somebody else goes, ah, it's, Stump's okay, but he should have done this, you know. <laughs> you know, I was actually listening. So, so when I when I was growing up, like in middle school and high school, <laughs> Fall Out Boy, that's when like you guys were getting massive. I always thought I was too cool to listen to that. I was like, I was a big metalhead, so I was like, oh, I can't, like I can't listen to that stuff. By the way, I would have been the guy that was too cool for Fall Out Boy if I weren't in Fall Out Boy. Like I know that I know that about myself, you know. Like, so I mean, I do think it's so funny. There are certain bands that just like engender that. I have no idea why. And like looking back now, 15 years later, I'm like, oh, so stupid. But yeah, but it's but it's a thing. I think that's another part of uh, music too. another part of that, like journey that you go on is I think everybody does that. I absolutely did. I used to work at two record stores at the same time. I I was working at the Sam Goody in the mall, uh, the Sam Goody in Northbrook Court. And then I was working at uh, Record Surplus. It was in Displays. Record Surplus was a vinyl store. And so, you know, I was I was working at vinyl. I was very stuck up. I was very, you know, at the time, I was really in on, like, the MC5 and the Stooges and that kind of stuff. And I was very, you know, snooty about blonde redhead and that kind of stuff. And so it was weird that I ended up in Fall Out Boy in the first place. But I think it's part of the journey that you need to go on anyway to accept that, like, music serves different purposes. Music doesn't always have to be cool. That's actually one of the things that's that's really challenging about scoring is that sometimes you by nature need to do something you don't like. That is what the the, the film calls for. That's what the scene calls for. So you have to like set aside your taste and think about what what serves the character, you know, like like this character really likes country. This is part of them, you know, like find a way or whatever or there's or or you're doing diegetic. Sometimes that happens where you you openly have to write music that, you know, when you were 15, you were like, oh, this is the worst music ever, you know? And I've had to do a decent amount of, like, dance music for background stuff. And I remember being, like, a little punk kid being like, ooh, you know, <laughs> dance music. And I, I did have a very roundabout point of saying I listened to, basically listened to, like, some of the albums from them, like, first time I'd ever heard them. And I, I listened to 
the first EP, and I, it is so interesting how it has that really rough, more DIY feel, and there is something really endearing about that in whether it be in like punk pop punk or whether it be in you know in a score or anything Mm -hmm. you eventually had the realization that no matter how long someone's been doing something everyone's kind of learning on the job and something five years ago 10 years ago 20 years ago like there are going to be mistakes that if you put them today back in that situation it'd be done differently well, and that's kind of one of the things that I think too, you know, to your question about, you know, if I could redo some scores, I'm like, well, probably not because I, I would for me, but then I think about me as like a fan of things. Like it bummed me out so hard when Star Wars did the special editions and you can't get the old Star Wars anymore. The Star Wars that I had on VHS that I used to watch, I can't see that anymore. You know, I can, but I have to go into the special features and this and whatever. And it's like, that's frustrating because that's what that movie is to me. That's the movie that I, you know, watched so many times that you quote in your head and stuff and you know every shot and everything. So then to change that, it's not the thing that you grew up with. It's not the thing that you're attached to. I'm still new to this. But in the off chance that anybody is attached to any of my scores, I wouldn't want to change them, you know. And the same thing goes with the band. You know, there are things like I listen to some of our records and I'm like, it's, again, it's that yearbook thing of like, why did I say it that way? Why did I sing that way? Why did I, I should have asked to turn down that guitar, whatever. But you, you're like, but somebody has a tattoo of it. So like, leave it alone. It's not, it's not yours anymore, you know? So, you know, you saying, I don't know if anyone's attached to my scores yet, but moving from Fallout Boy, from your solo stuff to composing, does that kind of feel like you're almost restarting like creating a a new identity for yourself yeah it's weird because it's a really strange place because um first off a lot of people in hollywood see it as like kind of a a back step which is really weird to me because i'm like it's so to me that was always the dream right but there are definitely people and a lot of them don't make it for this reason but a lot of a lot of a lot of guys go through you know their band and then they have their hit and then they're not on the charts anymore and so they go into scoring they try to go into scoring and that really wasn't it for me i've always this is just what i always wanted to do so and like i said you know there we were having meetings about if you're if you have your 15 minutes people are like oh you're going to be the beatles you know we're going to we're going to put you in you know help you're going to have your own movies and stuff or whatever <laughs> And any of that from the beginning, I'm like, I just want to score. That's all I want to do. I just want to score. That's the thing. But the fact that I'm in a band and the fact that the band still kind of has some currency, I think it throws people off. It's weird. I can get, I can, I can get called back for anything. I can, I can call anybody and be like, hey, you know, I want to score. And they'll meet with me and, and talk with me because of the band. But there's this wall because I think there is this expectation that it's like, but we're not really looking for the pop punk emo score and i'm like me neither why would you it's not none of my resume has that you know really so but i think it's it's weird it's a kind of it's a kind of double-edged sword because it gets me in the door but then it also closes the door for me you know Mm. because it's a cool problem to have but it's a it's an interesting kind of place to be and and so yeah there is a little bit of i guess identity it's also it's weird because there's it's the most honest i've been able to be back in the day when i would do a lot of radio interviews you know morning shows and rock and roll stuff I am a studio nerd. I'm not a rock star. So to have to put that on and be like, you know, oh yeah, you know, they they ask me dumb questions about <laughs> celebrities and stuff. I'm like, I don't know any of these people. I don't care, not in a bad way, but I don't, that's not where my head's at. Right. 
And uh, I'd love to talk about, you know, this microphone, you know, <laughs> whatever. I'd love to talk about my, my, my effect chain on this, whatever, you know. So it's weird because now I'm in a place where I can finally expound for hours about the topic, but it's not as much what people want to hear, I guess, you know, for, for me, you know, I, I think it's, like I said, it's still a weird thing because I think there's still this expectation that you're going to be this rock star, you know. When I tell people that I'm scoring, 90% of the time, they're like kind of taken aback by, the, if they know, if they know about scoring, they're kind of like, but that's a lot of work. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, I like doing the work. I enjoy, you know, like <laughs> I enjoy it. But it's kind of this disbelief of like, really? It's, you know, so. But I, I do find it really interesting, though, that that problem exists because I mentioned Johnny Greenwood earlier, but mm -hmm. like you have Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, you know, you know Michael Levy started off doing yeah. all sorts oh. of weird stuff. Well, M Mother's Ball, Danny Elfman, Rabin, you know, I mean, there's, it's, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think the issue with me, more than say, certainly, Trent Reznor or Greenwood or to a lesser extent, Mark Mothersbaugh and I guess Elfman too, is that my scores don't really sound like my, my music. My scores have an identity to themselves, but they don't really sound like the band all that much. There are moments for sure, but really the moments that they, that they sound like are the more orchestral Fall Out Boy stuff, you know, those, those moments sound like my scores. But so I think that also throws people because Frankly, I, I'm not sure I would know how to do a Fall Out Boy score. I'm not sure I'd know how to do that. I, I never, our music was never really written to be atmospheric or part of a story. The story is the lyric. So I, I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd know how to make a lot of that music as the closest thing I did was um, in Pacific Rim 2, I did a, like a version of the theme and it kind of sounds that's kind of like what I would do. It kind of sounds Fall Out Boy-y to me, but it's still the score to a big action movie thing. So, but, and, and I should also say that Trent Reznor uh, and Johnny Greenwood are people, I think, know them musically a lot better than they know me. I think I'm still kind of a, you know, frankly, I think a lot of people are surprised that I play instruments. I think when you're in it, you're removed from what the, the reality of what people's perspective is. I mean, most people are like, yeah, you're the singer in some band, right? And it's like, yeah, but I mean, we're a weird band. I, I'm the guy that writes all this stuff, you know, so. My reaction wasn't that extreme, but like when I listened to <laughs> Spell for the first time when it came out three years ago or so, like I said before, I wasn't a follow-up boy guy, so I, I was like, oh, who composed this? I like this. And I looked you up and I was like, ah, I didn't know he did this sort of thing. But like then you have to think back of, oh, someone that's been in bands for 25 years like chances are that they know how to make music you know I, like i saw yeah. people talking about being surprised that dr dre during the halftime show could play piano could play piano I'm like yeah you're like this guy's yeah this guy's been like one of the most prolific producers for like yeah, totally. 30 years of course he can i mean even just by proxy he's been sitting in studios with pianos for for you know my entire life he's probably at least played one once you know like, yeah but yeah, it, it's funny. I, and I do think that's, that's a, a, a funny reality that you learn pretty quick. And again, kind of back to that kind of snootiness that we all go through in high school or college or whatever, you know, everybody has that moment is that first off, I always think of the Rolling Stones when they, they went on tour, um, they took Prince on tour and they took uh, Peter Tosh on tour. In both cases, people were really surprised and really angry and like, oh, I don't like this and whatever. And there's this kind of expectation that the Rolling Stones only listen to music that sounds like the Rolling Stones. And you're like, why? Why would, <laughs> if, if anything, that'd be like the last thing I would listen to. And I think it's 
pretty similar with most musicians. You know, I've, I've been surprised going around, you know, we, we, we're a weird band too, because we kind of straddle this line where we've gotten into a lot of different places. You know, we've played hardcore festivals and we've played the, you know, CMT awards and we've played, you know, we've been everywhere because of that. I've gotten to experience a lot of different musicians and, 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 you know, musical experiences. And, and that's, that's universal is that musicians like music. A lot of fans like genres, but musicians like music and across the board. And, and frankly, you'd be a kind of crappy musician if you didn't, because if you're only listening to the same thing, where would any genre be if you never you know, stepped out of your comfort zone? To your point, it is very much like the listener versus musician dichotomy, because so many listeners and fans don't want that change. Like They just want that same sound that they've known for the first three albums to continue forever, whereas most of the time the musician's like... I don't want to make the same thing over and over. And, and, you know, frankly, too, it's not really what the audience wants anyway. They just say that, you know, because that's another thing that I've, I've watched over the years is people go through that experience of like, you know, I'm, you know, what, we're just going to make one for the fans. And then the fans don't like that one because it's like, <laughs> oh, it sounds exactly like the and It's like, yeah, that's that's what that is. That's, you, you know, so, you, you know, you have to keep moving and keep trying new things. But that but that's one of the things that's so exciting about scoring is that I'm always forced to. And I think another thing that's been good for me is so I'm, I'm in this strange place where a lot of people or a, a lot of productions are unsure of me because of the Fall Out Boy thing, because that's not what they want. So the ones that are willing to work with me tend to be a lot more risky, right? So not only are they, they hiring me, but they're also hiring me for something really out of my wheelhouse. Then I have to learn something really crazy and it's really exciting. Like I did... Um, well, my like second film was uh, Seth Green did a film called Changeland, which was set in Thailand. So I had to acquaint myself with all of this South Thai music, specifically South Thai, because it's a completely different music tradition than mm. than Middle Thai or, or North Thai, whatever. So so I had to learn all this music and also also kind of filter it through the idea of this character who you know had never been there before. I'm kind of combining all these things and whatever, and it sounds you know it's it's really exciting to me to hear it when I listen back to it. Cause I'm like, I, it's kind of weird to me that I wrote that. I couldn't have written that if I didn't have the challenge of the story that I didn't think of, I would never have written that music. And it's really exciting. It's exciting to have those kind of opportunities. And it's, and it's happened a lot, actually. Like I, I did a pitch, I didn't end up getting the movie, but it was so fun to do. I, I did a pitch and the, the script was uh, set in a, it's like a plane crashes in, the far southern islands of uh, the Philippines. So I'm I'm going through all of this southern Filipino music, and it's like it was just so exciting. And I bought these um, resonant gongs, you know. Again, just having the excuse to learn all that stuff. If you never use it, it's still so exciting right. and still. And then you're on a project, you know, a few years later, and you're looking for a sound, and you're like, oh, I I have that, you know. <laughs> so does it ever become daunting of? Because it's, it's not like looking through your filmography or the shows that you've worked on. It's not like you're only scoring horror and like yeah. you've you've got comfort with that. Like you said, I mean, you're jumping all over the place. You know, No Malone is very different from like Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it, it's not necessarily daunting. It's a little bit. I think one of the things I've noticed about myself, and I wonder if, if every composer notices this about themselves, is you start to hear... So when I used to do impersonations when I was a kid, when I used to do silly voices and stuff, you realize pretty quickly that you have like two or three voices that you bend into different places, right? So, hmm. 
you know, my Christopher Walken was basically my Doc Brown, but like just with a slightly different accent, you know. <laughs> and I feel like you start to notice that as a composer too, that everybody has a really has a voice, you know. Um, Alan Silvestri is one of my favorite ones for this because if you close your eyes and listen to Predator out of context, and then listen to Back to the Future out of context, and then listen to Who Framed Roger Rabbit out of context, and not I'm not talking the themes, but like the the small action sequences, whatever those little moments, they happen in all of those scores. You'll even hear them in in Avengers and stuff, and it's it's weird because. I, I'm sure that when he's writing that, he doesn't hear, he's not thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to do the thing I did in this. It's that that's how he speaks. And, you know, John Williams does this. I mean, they, everybody does. Everybody has these, these little moments. And th and those are, I, I find, I, I'm hearing myself, I hear those things now. You know, I didn't notice it on my first couple of movies, but now, you know, you're like 11 or 12 in and you start to go, oh, weird. It's weird. You're listening back. I'm like, I did that in a horror movie in a completely different context, you know? <laughs> um, and so it's all at once this kind of, it's kind of nice because you kind of start to know what you're voices but then you also kind of worry you're like i hope you know maybe i need to challenge myself more maybe i need to find something else here you know but i mean a big part of it i'm sure is trusting what what comes first what comes naturally and not trying to force something different solely for the sake of it being different uh, yes of course i that's a that's a great point too is that i mean in uh, black friday there were points where i kind of leaned into more of the action and fun of it than the horror of it and I was a little bit scared of, you know, what the production would say. And I kind of voiced that. And they're like, no, nah, we hired you for that. We hired you because we know what you do. Like, they had heard the Banana Splits. I did the Banana Splits movie, which was a comedy horror. And uh, they're like, we know what you do. We want you to keep doing it. We're happy with it. So, yeah, there's a certain degree of, like, trusting yourself and trusting. And, the, you know, um, a friend of mine once said, too, that you're better off just doing you because no matter what, you're going to be you, even if you're trying to be somebody else, even if you're trying to do, you know, if you go into it being like, I'm going to write a Johnny Greenwood score, you're still going to, it's still going to be you doing it. It's interesting looking at the commonalities in that. Like I said, it's, it's this weird kind of thing where you're like, huh, this impersonation is still just off this impersonation. You know, you have an instrument, you have a, you have a voice as a writer, you know? Yeah. And so I guess, you know, going for that, we're, we're, we're building up to the present now where <laughs> you're scoring for the new Spider-Man animated series yeah. for kids i'm sure as like a big comics fan as a big superhero fan like it's got to be really exciting to be able to work on that yeah it's it's insane it's my it, it's weird for me because batman was my first love for film and scoring and everything but i was always a marvel guy i mm. we just didn't have marvel movies when i was a kid so so that was the that was the superhero movie that we had but i was a spider-man kid i was an x-men kid so getting to do it it's ridiculous and it's um it, and sometimes you know it's my first show it's my first multi-season show and there's a little bit of challenge to that because you don't get to savor it as much you don't get to take your time as much there's a schedule so there's mm. it's, it's it's a little bit more locked than indie movies where you know half the time i turn my stuff in and they're like oh you know what we're actually running behind so you know <laughs> whereas this i'm i'm scrambling to the finish line every episode and whatever so sometimes you have to stop and take a breath and be like, this is amazing. But it's, it's still so cool to get to do. And, and there's a big challenge to it, too, because I, I am such a comic fan. So I want to put all of the comic book in it. I want, to be, I want it to be, you know, like I, in my head, I start, I start seeing it. and I get caught up in, the, in the, the action of it. And it's like, well, but it's 
for little kids, you know, so, yeah. so dial it back. But yeah, it's, it's incredible. And yeah, we're, we're starting up another season. So now I've been doing it for long enough. It's crazy. It's awesome. How does your process go maybe right now when you know you've got another season coming up? What's the the ramp up process and then how are you working on an episode by episode basis? Basically, I have every two weeks I have an episode and I have to write or repurpose 22 minutes of music. And by now we have started repurposing. At the beginning, I was like, we're not going to repurpose anything. I'm going to write everything. And it's like, there is just not the time for that. And there also becomes the uh, thematic reason not to do that. There are scenes that call on specific things or your themes really calcify. So then, you know, I know a vibe that I'm using for Doc Ock that I'm not necessarily rewriting or not yet, not necessarily repurposing everything, but I'm going to be, I know that generally what she sounds like when, when being, there's a lot of humor in the show. So I know what she sounds like when she's being funny. I know what she sounds like when she's in danger, when she's causing the danger, you know, that kind of stuff. It kind of also writes itself after a while because now you've done it for so long that you kind of watch the show and go, okay, well now here's Rhino and I know what his voice is. You, it's it's almost like a constant opera or something where there's the little the light motifs of the characters and stuff and they all start to interact and even though it's a kid show and you're not right, it's not strict to that. It still kind of has that. Well, I mean that's that's something that I do appreciate that you still have that intellect behind the music, even though it's a show for five-year-olds let's say yeah. like it's still not dumbing everything down because of it like it's still treating yeah. the music treating the show like it should be i have to say i'm really impressed with disney with their focus on that they push me which i was surprised mm. for a kid's show you kind of thought like okay well maybe you know i thought maybe i'd be pushing you know the art of it but they really encourage you to go in that direction and and the, the spotting meetings are really fun I, I really look forward to them because the notes that Sometimes you have these, um, I think every composer's had those spotting or note sessions where you're like, this person's asking for it to be slower and this person's asking it for it to be <laughs> louder and this person, you know, and they're, and they're all these things that conflict and you're like, I don't know, man, whatever. This is a lot more, it's really useful and it's really um, exciting. So that's another layer of it that's really cool is, and there are a lot of comic book people on the show too. So it's, it's fun because we all, we get excited and nerdy about it. So it's a blast. It's crazy. It's crazy to get to do. I, I, I would love to do superheroes for the rest of my life. It's like, it's the best. <laughs> I assume that it's like, you know, there isn't continuity with all the, the yeah. movies. And like yeah, we're not in the MCU yet. Anyway, I don't know. Multiverse, who knows, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Anything's possible yeah. now. But I mean, was there at all a, a push to use any of the thematic elements from those or... Was it kind of an open book for you? Well, it was kind of an, I, I kind of pitched it. I kind of pitched it in a way that I was like, I wanted to absorb all the stuff. The thing that I was thinking of is if you're four, this is the first time you're probably interacting with Spider-Man, right? And, and the Spidey universe, any, any of these characters. So I was like, I kind of wanted to give a primer to it, even though it's, I mean, it's really, I have to say, it's really crazy working on this show and then going and seeing the new Spider-Man movie and being like, oh my gosh, our, our Green Goblin's a little different, you know, <laughs> it's just a, just a different tone, you know. I, I was thinking about combining all of these things. So when I composed my first themes and my, my first ideas for the show, I was taking sonic elements from the 60s show and from the Elfman score and trying to and, and I, I even looked at some of the the old spider-man and his amazing friend show and pulling all those things in and then little moments where i was also kind of 
imagining, you know, what I, what I would do, you know? So it's, it's kind of a combination of a lot of things because there are some that I was able to really, like I said, Spider-Man and, and the Spidey team, their themes really pull on a lot of things that are, it's not like I'm using any of those, that music, but I'm, they are inspired by existing music. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, somebody like Hulk, we have a like kind of funny little kid Hulk. It's not, it's not any Hulk we've ever seen before. So I had to make a new Hulk, which is funny because I did a different Hulk for <laughs> the ride, you know, um, but it was a different process. So different characters get different processes. Whereas like Black Panther, I really wanted to evoke the score. It's not the same music at all, but I, I wanted to evoke that same meter, that same tama drum, that brass, you know, I really wanted to evoke that feeling because I feel like that score is just perfect. That's that's like one of my favorite scores, period, is the the Black Panther score. So I was like, you know, when you get to a character like that, like, if it ain't broke. Right. Well, and, and that's something that you can definitely hear when watching it, that there are times where the music feels familiar and other mm-hmm. times where it's like, okay, this is just carving its own path. And, I mean, it's also nice hearing that there are more, in, like, in some of the underscoring elements, like, there are more just like pure rock aspects too, where like yeah. the guitar is driving the way. Well, and that was the thing that, 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 you know, if anything, like I said, it's been kind of, uh, somebody asked me to do, you know, the fallout boy score. I don't know how I do it. That was actually more challenging to me than the orchestral stuff is figuring out the right level of, of rock in it, because I don't, it's not how I think. Frankly, I didn't, there's not a lot of scores that I felt, you know, like when I was, the, the scores that really grabbed me as a kid, it was, Back to the Future and Star Wars and Batman and Ghostbusters. These are all strictly orchestral scores. I, there's a moment in Ghostbusters where there's a where there's like a rock element, but I mean it's really short. It's not even on the soundtrack actually. I don't think. But so it, it was actually kind of a challenge to me to figure out how to work that in. And um, now it's it's kind of fun. I kind of look forward to those parts. But it it that was probably I'd say. Of any of it, that was probably the hardest part of the show was figuring out how to how to rock, <laughs> I guess, you know, <laughs> like how to rock and still have the superhero thing and the and the kid thing. It's a, it's yeah. I'm juggling a lot of things, you know, I mean, that's got to be a hard balance because you don't imagine like a crunchy guitar riff as something you'd play to a four year old. Yes, exactly. Well, and that was that was one of the things that was really funny, too, was originally pitching the show because they had given kind of some inspirations of what they were looking for. But I, I went in and kind of laid down some ideas. And it was funny because some of the people on the, sh- you know, a, a, in the production were like, you know, this is perfect. You know, you dial it up. And then some of them were like, this is this is going to play before <laughs> breakfast. Like maybe maybe we find it, you know. Um, so uh, it took a it took some time finding the the right balance there, but I, I think it it's exciting and now it's a very comfortable place. Now it's like, um, especially getting into season two, now I sit down and I write it and it's like those action sequences. I'm in a different place with it now because now there's the backbeat that I wouldn't have thought of before. Now I play with that backbeat. It's it's weird. You almost go into this like, just drum wise, you almost go into this like seventies Lala Schifrin score kind of thing where there's like there's a the way that meter kind of goes through, you kind of find a way to, to do that with a rock band, you know? And so I'm curious, with the couple tracks that you've released from it are, like, quite popular. And the show itself, <laughs> I think Disney Junior has some of them on YouTube. And, like, <laughs> some of them are, like, super popular, which really <laughs> surprised me. Are you considering, you know, releasing a, an EP or an album of music at any point? I have no idea. I mean, that's really up to that's really up to the show and what they want to do. 
I'm just happy to be. I, if it were up to me, I would I would love to put out all of my scores. So whatever. But I'm just happy to be here. You know, if they want to put out the music, that that'd be great. I'm also kind of uh, like I, you know, I was kind of lightly complaining about how difficult it is to have people see past the the name of the band and stuff or whatever. But I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm very lucky, and I know I'm really lucky that whatever we're going into season two that's a huge deal. I mean, a lot of shows don't get that. So I know, I know how lucky I am. So I'm like, whatever, everything else is, <laughs> everything else is cake. So hey, that's, that's awesome. Um, and honestly, I think that's the perfect note to end on. Awesome. Very positive. <laughs> Looking yeah. forward to what's coming out next. And hopefully, hopefully you do release some of the music because I don't have kids. So it's, uh, it's a little weird for me to yeah, right. <laughs> to throw an episode out yeah. to hear the music. Bumping it in your car, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Right, well. But yeah, thanks again for joining me. I, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.